Tim's lunch. Tim's lunch. What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, today we will be breaking down all of the Schmodown action from a eventful March 2020. Uh, but before we do that, how are you? Doing pretty well, Scott. I uh, have survived another week in quarantine. In fact, you know, if you think of March as the first month of quarantine, it, we didn't start to about halfway through. We've survived the first month, the first Schmodown month uh, in quarantine. Obviously, the release schedule has slowed a little bit and we have fewer matches to talk about than we maybe had expected. But And, and obviously, the, the big missing component is, is the free-for-all, of course. But uh, otherwise, never I should say, never, nevertheless, we've had some pretty great matches and I think we have a lot to talk about today. But otherwise, uh, surviving the quarantine pretty well. Yeah, you know, we made our free-for-all predictions at the end of last episode, and I'm pleased to say that even though we picked uh, different people, neither of us have been wrong uh, about about what we predicted. So, I mean, I think that's a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, I we can predict we can fake predict the winner of the uh, Streamyard IG tournament too, and not be wrong about yeah. that next month either. Yeah, I think Dan Merle would have won it definitely. Um, oh, for, for sure, no doubt. Okay, Scott, uh, with that, let's get into the action from March. As you said, uh, we have slowed a little bit with the release schedule here in the past couple of weeks, just doing one match a week as opposed to two. But, uh, you know, we do have a few weeks where we did get a couple of matches a week, so still a decent amount of matches to talk about here. And it all start started this month with uh, the live event for this month, I guess you'd have to say, with Free Frog getting canceled. Um, and that was the Schmodown Throwdown on the first weekend of March. Uh, and it was a team's match between Corruption and the Family, two of the uh, the top contender. It was, was this a number one contender match? I believe it was. was it not? Yes, it was. Yes, uh, number one contender match uh, to see who the next challenger for the Founding Fathers is. Of course, we don't know when that challenge will come now. Most of the future uh, is, is kind of up in the air right now. But uh, after this match, we do know that Corruption is going to get a fourth match with uh, the Founding Fathers, I believe. Um, Has anyone ever played each other four times before in the history of the Schmodown? I don't think so. I, I think that will be a first. Um, yeah, of course, Corruption still holding the advantage in that series, two two to one, but yeah. uh, the Founding Fathers win is is what gave them the title, and uh, they have they have maintained the title uh, it, since then, and, and will continue to do so until they get that challenge. But, Scott, as far as this match goes, again, you know, a high-scoring first round, Mike Kalinowski struggling a little bit, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit of ring rust there since he hasn't played uh, in a bit going into this match. It was his first match of the season. But, you know, they they were able to come back around when they got Spinner's Choice in round two. Just as Corruption and Mike Kalinowski-associated uh, teams and stuff like that, they, they always seem to get Spinner's Choice. It always seems to work out very well for them. The, the wheel is very kind to them. Uh, and this time, of course, James Bond was not up there, but they did. Uh, go with the DCEU, something else Mike knows very well from his role as host of DC Movie News, and they cleaned it out uh, with the perfect round. The uh, the uh, family got Coen Brothers and did decently well, but there was a crucial one-point steal, which kind of swung the balance a little bit and gave Corruption 
the two-point two lead going into um, the final round. Uh, it did end up in a tie uh, with Corruption having to hit their five-pointer to avoid sudden death, and they were able to do so uh, and win the match. I think the talking point maybe from round three here is that Andrew Guy took the three-pointer despite being the weaker player. You know, this is a discussion that uh, is had a lot of about round three strategy and whether do you always want to give the uh, the weaker player the two-pointer just to play it safe, uh, or do you want to uh, kind of hear what the category is for the two-pointer and judge it based on that? And it, the, whatever the category was is not coming to mind to me immediately for the two-pointer. But Drew McQueenie decided to take it. Decided to take it. He did hit it, uh, leaving Guy with the three, which uh, he could not pull. Um, and so, it, obviously, it didn't work out for them there. I think it depends on the the strength of the players. I guess I think that um, we always felt like Corruption was the favorite here, just because they were uh, stronger. Both players were stronger than uh, perhaps. Uh, Andrew Guy were, was for the family, and I think that that proved true here with Guy missing that three-pointer. Ultimately, I guess it, it wouldn't have mattered uh, because Corruption still would have been able to pull out the match with the five-pointer. But regardless, uh, just an interesting strategy point there. And, Scott, of course, the other thing to talk about from this match, Drew McQueenie retiring um, after the match, uh, saying he was out. Um, it, it seems like, from what I understand, that there's some personal stuff. Maybe you're at least at the time there was. I don't know if it, what has changed about his situation, if anything has, since uh, all of this quarantine nonsense started. Um, but for the time being, uh, Drew McQueenie is out of the league. What are your thoughts on this match and on the aftermath? Yeah, it really feels like the, the talking point should have been on this match, should have, should have been Drew McQueenie retiring. Instead, it felt like the talking point ended up being that question in round two that was – the one point steal, the Cohen brothers question that Andrew Guy has been very outspoken about feeling like that was a misleading question or a question designed to trick you that was asking what movie did the Cohen brothers write that was, but not direct in 2014. That was a war film and they guessed Bridge of Spies, but that was a 2015 movie or vice versa. And the answer was unbroken. Uh, and so it really came down to being a movie release dates question and, and knowing which movie was released when uh that i think that was the key talking point unfortunately coming out of the match because of perception of the fact that that turned the match in, in many ways uh if that goes the other way if if uh drew and drew and drew uh the family get that question right on the one point and, and the steal doesn't happen uh it's 25 25 heading into the last round uh, which again, you know, because of the way things turned out and and with Andrew Guy missing his three-point question, corruption still would have won. But anything could have happened. You know, psychologically it's a very different ball game. Maybe you don't take uh or you change your decision around who takes the two versus the three in a situation where you're tied going into the final round versus when you're down two points. Uh I think that that question around strategy is an internal is an eternal one. I think you know the match that we saw most recently, the Who's the Boss odd couple match that we're going to talk about in a little bit, I was personally a little bit surprised that Mark Mark Riley was taking the two-point based on the category, but I think the strategy there is you give Mark Riley the two-point question and you give Ben Bateman the three-point question because that's the kind of ranking of players, at least in singles, if you if you just purely go by the fact that Ben Bateman held the singles belt uh, more recently. And so I, I think that that is one that will probably eternally be debated. I think you'll see a lot of the best teams uh, really follow that two-point 
three-point structure of the weaker player, the weaker in quotation marks, because at this tier of the league, there are no weak players. Uh, but the two-point question going to the weaker player and the three-point going to the stronger player, that doesn't seem to be what the family did here. Again, maybe it would have been different if the match was tied. But either way, they didn't win it. I did feel like Corruption was the was the better team on the day, even though Mike did only get five points in the first round. And I did feel like a deserved, a deserved win there. And it was a shame that that's the note that Drew McQueenie's career ends on for now. Of course, it sounds like he's very open to coming back uh, when things do settle down. Because you're right, it, it just seemed like certain work opportunities were coming up or, uh, or, or something else in his life had come up where it was going to make it quite difficult. He was going to continue to play out until they lost. So if they'd gotten the title shot, of course, he would have stayed in and, and played that title shot and, and then kept defending until they did lose. But the fact that uh, he they, they lost and, and that's kind of, he saw the exit door there for the time being. Based on that, you're right. Maybe those plans have changed with everything that happened with the coronavirus. Maybe he isn't quite as down and out as we might've thought uh, given everything here. But it, it seems like knowing Drew McWeeny that his kind his work is the kind of stuff that wouldn't necessarily be affected as much by the coronavirus with screenwriting, things like that, whether he's reading scripts, whatever he might be doing. Uh, it's hard It's hard to say, because I, I, I mean, we're just not familiar with exactly what it is that he's doing, but hopefully uh, what he's doing is is successful for him and is rewarding and uh, will allow him at some point to return to the Schmodon, because even though his single record has belied it somewhat, he is a really strong player and and I think he will be a, a missed player. He's part of one of the most memorable teams in Schmodon history with above the line. Uh, finally taking down the Patriots and then, of course, defending the belt in the Ironman match at Collision before they do retire. And, and I remember those being you know, really salient memories from, was it season five of the Schmodown? Yeah, uh, yeah and, and back, in, back in 2018, a really incredible uh, two wins over the Patriots. And uh, he never quite rekindled that magic that he created with Sam Levine, either with Brianne in the Anarchy Teams tournament at the end of 2018 or with the family with Drew Guy. Uh, always it seemed like they were right on the precipice of, of getting that title shot and just never quite getting there. And, and that's kind of the way it's always been, it seems like, for Drew uh, in the Schmodown, besides his run with Above the Line, or even, I should say, at the beginning of Above the Line when they got the title shot against the Patriots and, and didn't win it the first time, even though they came so close. You know, they sh maybe you could say he struck gold with Sam at the end of Sam's in incredible run for a C, you know, three quarters of a season or almost a full season. But then after that, again, never quite getting it to spark in singles and more or less the, the same in teams, unfortunately, which is a little bit sad because he does seem like a, a player who has more respect and maybe deserves more plaudits at the end of the day. But if you just look on paper, not as sparkling a career as you might as you might at first think. Yeah, no, I think that is the narrative that you have to kind of take away from McQueenie's time in the Schmodown. Um, it's a shame, you know, that the guy never really got into any sort of contention for singles because he was always talked about as having, you know, as being right up there with the Bibianis and Irwins of the world and having the most film knowledge of anyone in the league. But I don't know whether it was the game or what it was. It just seems like different things just would go against him. A lot of times it was round three, round three. Uh, tended to haunt him in a lot of matches. But still, he is one of the greatest teams players, I, I think, of all time. Yes, he only won the, the title with above the line, but, you know, that they did take out the Patriots, hand the Patriots their first loss um, to to do so in one of the greatest matches ever in the Schmodown. It's uh, just weird then, to think that, that, that above the line is probably 
the third or fourth only at most third, maybe probably realistically fourth best team of all time. That's just kind of like a really weird thing to think about. Um, but it, it just shows yeah. you the quality of some of these teams. Yeah, and you know, part of that was Sam retiring. They they may have been able That's to con- continue their run a lot further if not for that. Um, but you know, even with the family, right? They started out four and five and last year, um, making that run all the way to the finals of the the ultimate showdown before losing to Shazam. Um, he he's a really strong teams player, um, but just never really got it going in singles. I think that's really the story surrounding McQueenie and. So yeah, the the Schmodown will have to move on without him for the time being, um, but plenty of of great talent to to fill in there. And you you do wonder who is going to step in and, from the Burning Droogs and be uh, be Andrew Guy's new partner. I'm I'm not uh, try, I'm trying to think about the their roster. Off the top not of the head. Burning Droogs, the usual suspects. Yeah, they are they are. You're right, they are the usual suspects. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, maybe Janine the Machine. I don't think she has a team's partner yet. Um, at, at this stage since joining the usual suspects. So that might yeah. be the natural uh, place to go because she's probably, I, I think she was his third pick um, after, after uh, Drew and, and Drew and Drew. Um, so, yeah. so maybe that's the move. I don't know. Uh, but I imagine guy will want to be getting back in there in teams sooner rather than later, because that's really where he's the strongest. He's not, uh, he, he's not going to be a threat in singles really, you know, despite having, a few, you know, kind of famous wins over over time. Yeah, I mean, that is the the million dollar question for the usual suspects is who they can get to partner with with Drew Guy. I think if you rewound to the beginning of the season and you remove Drew McQueenie from the table, I think everyone would have been saying, "Oh yeah, definitely Drew and and Janine. Drew Guy and Janine makes perfect sense." But I don't know. It just seems like that loss to Riley just really took the luster off of, or at least what was left off of Janine. In the like at this moment, I think that she has the ability to bounce back from that. But she's just had unfortunate loss after unfortunate loss, or however you want to describe those losses. She's had a lot of them pile up. And if you sit back and you think about your faction and and you put down Drew Guy and Janine the Machine as your number one team on that in that faction, I think that uh, that is a recipe for having a really tough season uh, overall in the team's division. And that's no disrespect to you know, Andrew Guy or Janine the Machine, but when it seems like almost every other faction has some sort of like, you know, dream team put together somehow, some way, whether, you know, whether it's the Founding Fathers and Who's the Boss or Deep 13 or Tom and Paul or, um, you know, I mean, o- Oyama and, uh, the, you know, Final Exam, Oyama and, and um, Lon Harris, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. I mean, it just seems like every faction, the odd couple even too, every faction has some really heavyweight team as their number one. And, and I don't think that you could fairly say that Andrew Guy and Janine the Machine are at or really even near that same level. That doesn't mean they couldn't beat them on paper. I mean, anything can happen on any given day, they could prove themselves, but it just doesn't, it just feels like the usual suspects is significantly behind now, already going out on a limb, maybe by taking the family number one and then having this backfire in their face with Drew McQueenie retiring. Yeah, I think I think that's the skinny on that, and you know maybe Levine tries to make a trade or find some hidden gem on the the free agents. Who knows? But um, yeah, I I, th- I tend to agree that that team is not probably not going to strike fear into the hearts of many of the other number one teams from uh, the the various factions. So that's the story on corruption in the family. Well, uh, we didn't Scott, talk very much about corruption at all, but <laughs> what's the story yeah, of the match? I, I'm not sure there's there's much to say about them. You know, they 
they came out there, they won like we thought they would. They tied a record, I believe, with 30. It was a record at the time uh, yeah. with 36 points. Um, and, yeah, once again, they just proved to be a really solid team, even when one of them stumbles, like we talked about Mike stumbling in round one. Um, Chance is there to pick him up, and it's happened the other way in matches too, where, where Chance is the one who uh, needed picking up. But, yeah, if that wheel continues to go their way in round two, as it always seems to, they're going to be pretty much impossible to beat. Yeah, because the other, I think the other talking point that's been a larger talking point over the course of the entire month, but I think was sort of, uh, I don't know, a, a particular moment that I think sparked the conversation was the difficulty of those DCEU questions that they got in, in round two. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different takes from different personalities. Uh, some I agree with more than others, but... Yeah, it, you know, the ruling came down that for the, at least for the rest of this season, it might change next season, but for the rest of this season, you're going to be able to put an inner geekdom slice on the wheel, but you won't have the individual movie slices uh, available to put on the wheel, which is, you know, some some compromise that they were able to come up with. It's obviously, I think that there are people on going to be on, bo- on both sides of that fight and allowing inner geekdom or comic book movies overall to be in the league. And intergeekdom is obviously more broad than comic book movies, but those types of movies uh, getting their own in- individual slices. I think we, we might've seen the last match where that it will be the case with uh, who's the boss and the odd couple, because obviously star Wars was the slice that was available on that match, but going forward, just having that intergeekdom slice feels, it feels a bit weird to me because there's so many movies in that. I mean, I think that they did something like 130 or 440 movies in that category. And, Yet there's, uh, I, I don't know. There's like Tarantino. He's got, he's made nine films. Like is on is on the wheel. So it feels a little bit uneven there. But obviously there are certain people. I think throwing a bit of a hissy fit about how much of an advantage uh, inner geekdom slices were for competitors who played an inner geekdom. But they study for those slices all the same as everyone else studies for other slices. So to yeah. me, I don't necessarily see that perspective except for people just trying to get uh, an upper hand on players. You know, like Mike. Uh, like Chance and like Dan Merle, ultimately. I mean, not not that. I mean, everyone needs a leg up on Dan Merle whenever they can get it, but uh, I, that I think is a, a rule that's specifically targeted at Mike right now, which is unfortunate that that's how the league shakes out. But it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you because, like, you know, if you if you have a problem with how easy or whatever these questions are for Mike because he studies the DCEU all the time for inner geekdom then just go study whatever your strengths are just as hard as he studies for inner geekdom. And it will, you know, work both ways. I, I, I think that, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think this will result in maybe some more, comp- more competitive matches, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think I agree with your logic there that um, given the number of movies that this is going to kind of group into one a single slice now it, it seems a, a I don't little think silly will select it I, I don't i just really don't yeah. think many people will select that slice yeah because i mean i think the only person who would 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 be probably be mike because if you look at uh who is the strongest in the inner geekdom division right now who are the people that um could you know you could reasonably say are comfortable with that wedge as an entirety he's really the only one that actually plays in singles or teams um you know, because people like Kevin Smets and Sean Drew and uh, Robert Parker are not going into singles and teams at this particular time. So, um, yeah, he'd probably be the only one. I think you're right about that. Um, maybe Merle, but I, even then I doubt it. But 
It's just one of the yeah. things, like, like who's going to take – like unless you are just truly a newcomer to the league and you don't really feel like you have any other strength, who's going to say, all right, I want the inner geekdom slice on the wheel when you can have yeah. a category that is much narrower? Yeah, I mean the only time I, I could see it is kind of what I was talking about. They're like if Robert Parker said, I want to play a singles match yeah. and you know went up against somebody who doesn't have a geek background. I mean either way, I think he would mm-hmm. he would want to put that on the wheel for sure because that's – you know he knows everything about those movies. Um, and so that could maybe get him a singles win, despite maybe not having the greatest general movie knowledge. But regardless, um, Scott, that that I think will will move us on now to the singles division and the singles matches that we got um, this this month. We had a couple big ones. Uh, the first being Ethan Irwin against Jeff Snyder, two uh, veterans here. I never played each other before, but uh, you always knew this was going to be a knockdown drag out fight. And it absolutely was nine for nine in round one, both players. The key moment for round two really came when Ethan uh, answered a question about Julia Roberts much too quickly. Um, and it went over to Jeff uh, again. Uh, and they, they had talked about this. This was a talking point before the match, even uh, with, uh, with RMB, the fact that Ethan maybe hadn't that he, uh, RMB claimed to have been working with Ethan on, how to like play the game a little bit better because maybe that had faulted Ethan in uh, in in the past. I think anyone upon hearing that probably would have rolled their eyes and said, "I don't know that Burnett is really doing that much at all." And especially after seeing the match and seeing Ethan make a pretty rookie mistake in terms of uh, not playing the game right in round two, not going to multiple choice, um, and allowing Snyder, or I guess he did go to multiple choice, did he not? He did, yeah. That's, that, yeah, that was the he, rookie move. He he went to multiple. He answered, answered before hearing all choice. the choices. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and allowing Jeff that steal, I think, shows that if there was any preparation between uh, Burnett and Irwin on the strategy aspect, it didn't really work. Um, like I said, if there was at all. But Jeff, despite having a four-point lead, um, you know, Scott, we talk about this all the time. I mean, if you can keep it within five points, right, going into round three, if you can force that other player, if you can get it to where you can, you have to force that other player to answer their five-pointer, anything can happen, right? You know, the deficit is not too large, even at five points. Um, if you look at what happened in the the Bateman Merle match, that shows that. Um, but if you can keep it in that range, then you're gonna you're gonna give yourself a fighting chance, regardless of what happened in round two. And that's what Ethan did here. He hit all three of his questions. He forced Jeff to answer that five, which was, you know, uh, categories that have haunted Jeff always, which are the decades categories. Going back to that match against Bibiani where he freaked out in the 70s um, round. He got an 80s question this time about a Mel Brooks film, and he just didn't know the answer. Um, And so despite it was one of those matches, and Roxy said this after the match too, it felt like Jeff played the better match overall. It felt like something wasn't right about the result. The fact that Ethan had somehow won this match after what we had just seen. But again, all you got to do is force that five pointer and, and anything can happen. I think this match was uh, one of the the big, biggest examples of that. Um, and as a result, the, the burning droogs getting a, a big win here. You know, I think a lot of people uh, took the piss out of this faction a little bit after the draft, but with a deep 13 winning and being, you know, getting a very impressive win, uh, in their first match, and now Ethan Irwin winning a big time singles match that is going to put him in the next title picture. Good, time. Um, big time singles match. That was unintentional, but thank you. Um, 
this was a really good win for for the burning drigs and the rock stars continue to struggle Scott. yeah now this match i absolutely agree with your analysis that something just didn't feel right and I, I think that's that's the case when you have someone go into round three with more than a two-point lead i think if, if you have a three-point especially a four-point lead uh going into round three even though again it's not like it, four point. I feel like is like the most dangerous lead in the Schmodown psychologically. I think most of the time you would still win the match, but psychologically it's like this really scary position where if like you, like you laid out, if someone like Ethan Irwin, who is like almost money for 10 points in round three right. every single time can hit all three of their questions. The fact that you've had, you had a four point lead and now you have to hit your five point question or you lose it always it doesn't feel right, especially after you saw, and this is to Roxy's point and your your point as well, the performance that Jeff had in round two to outplay Ethan uh, pretty comprehensively in round two. I mean, the fact that there was only one steal, but Ethan only getting you know two questions. I was just saying, I think we saw the strength, the weak, as much as we saw the weakness of Ethan in round two, we also saw his strength, which is that he just does not lose his cool no matter what happens. And I think that's what makes him such a round, uh, a great round three player as well, yeah. because the struggle with round three a lot of times is the pressure that that can be on you. Uh, you know, with the match could come down to a single question in round three, and Ethan just does not lose his cool. And I think that's why, in particular, he's someone who you don't want to leave any any light for going into that round three, because chances are they probably are going to get Alton. Yeah, I mean, he has absolute ice in his veins. I mean, the guy is unflappable. I mean, we'll talk more about tactics maybe to get under your opponent's skin. I'm not sure anyone can get under Ethan Irwin's skin because the guy is just so genuinely cool. He's just like, takes things as they come. He barely even reacts at all when he misses a question. He obviously had that very rookie-like move in round two, and you know, if that happened to Jeff Snyder, I mean, the game's over. Like his, he's mentally gone from the match at that point. But uh, no, Ethan, Ethan held in, you know, held on even in that category, and you know, he wasn't his best category. I don't think he'll be taking Julia Roberts again anytime soon. But he held on and, and absolutely knocked out his round three questions. And um, I think Jeff had this sneaking suspicion that. Uh, what might happen, and I think it, that's what happened. I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of willing it into existence by uh, psyching himself out because his question, I mean, was hard. I mean, Andreco after the match was talking about how quickly he knew it because he's a huge Mel Brooks fan, but uh, knowing the narrator of the whichever movie it was, that was History of the World Part One. History of the World Part One, yeah, we, being Orson Welles, like I'm sure a lot of people out there know that because they've seen the movie, but that's not Jeff's. That's not Jeff's uh, cup of tea, I don't think, and so. Yeah, you don't know the answer to that question, and and so it goes. I'm really interested to see going forward what this means, because I think this is a really big win for Ethan. I mean, Snyder, I think people go back and forth about the his quality overall. I mean, he did have a title match last year that um, at least one player in the Schmodown, John Roca, thinks that he basically gave the title away to Paul when all he had to do was basically just answer one question right but completely psyched himself out mentally. Um, and at the same time, you know, he's also one of the best teams players of all times when he with two different teams and yada, yada, yada. So I think that this is not going to be the season defining win of Irwin's uh, season, assuming we do get back to playing matches again in you know, the relatively soon future. But I do think that this is a really important win to show that, you know, Ethan is ready to kind of overcome a relatively disappointing 
season season six, you know, even though he only had a few losses and they were really only two major players, he never really got uh, got on a roll like he did in, in season five in his debut season. And a win like this feels like it could be a setup to uh, another big run a la that season five run that he had. I don't know if it's yet announced who he's playing next, but I know he's close to to a number one contender shot uh, depending on who he has to play. And like I said, I think, I think he has a good shot at getting back to a title match. Yeah. I don't know exactly who, but it could, could possibly be the, the winner of the other singles match that we had this month, uh, which was of course, Paulo Yama versus John Roca. That's actually um, who I, Yeah, that, that is. Yeah. Yep. So Scott, as far as Oyama versus Roca goes, this was a match that, you know, was very hyped up going into it. You had the young phenomenon Oyama who went six and oh, defended the title last year. Um, and the old vet Roca. And, you know, we talked about Scott going into this match, how we both kind of thought Paul was going to win, but at the same time, but this was the kind of match that Roca always seems to pull out, right? Just when you think he's over the hill, just when you think that, um, you know, the younger player is going to come in, like, like we've seen with Mark Riley, right? He struggled in singles against Andrew Guy. He lost to Andrew Guy in singles, a younger player. Even Dan Merle losing that first match to Andrew Guy, obviously didn't put Dan out of commission or anything like that. that. There were other factors I think that contributed to that, but Roca has been able to, you know, have such longevity in the league because he wins these types of matches, which otherwise might be like, yeah, it's time for me to move on. If, if he lost them, we, you know, he beat Andrew guy when Andrew guy was in the middle of that, uh, you know, magical run. And, you know, he beat Mike Kalinowski last year at, in the singles tournament at a time when, Mike was, you know, really firing on all cylinders and Mikey three belts was a possibility. Um, and yeah, so, so that was kind of w- what we had going into this match. Uh, and Roca had the upper hand going into uh, round two, nine, seven. Um, then Paul got his strength, um, which was of course, YA adaptations, which is a new sort of slice this year that, that Paul put on the will. wheel. And they ran through in, in the team's match from this month as well. Yes, um, that that's right. Yeah, um, which we'll we'll get to shortly. But um, as far as this time around, he did get uh, six points from it. But the by far the defining point in the match again a steal in round two, uh, and this time it was a two point steal. Paul um, answering a question about beautiful creatures and what what southern state um, that the movie takes place in. Um, and, you know, he decided to go for it on two points and guess Louisiana. And, you know, listening to what he said after the match, I don't think that this was necessarily a bad decision to go for it. He was thinking about the names of the characters, and they were all French, um, and, and basically he thought that, um, you know, Louisiana was the natural guest there, right, with the, the, the Cajun heritage or anything. He did, he did think through it. It wasn't really an Ethan Irwin or, or somebody else jumping the gun situation in round two. Um, but nevertheless, he missed – it goes to Roca, who really just pulls an answer out of his butt, guesses another Southern state, South Carolina. It happens to be right. And from that point on, it just felt like that was it. Like, that was the match. I think I even said to you as we were watching this, Scott, I was like, that's it right there. Like, when Roca got that two-point steal. Um, you know, and, and even still, it was a three-point game, right, going into round three. And like we just talked about, you leave some, you leave the door open, Um you don't want to leave the door open for a player like Paul Oyama, but it just seemed like psychologically that steal uh, maybe just took the wind out of his sails a little bit. 
um, and resulted in a TKO in round three um, with Paul not pulling his three or five pointers. Um, two straight losses for Paul. Uh, I mean, you know, this is this is one of those things. He started out so on such an incredible streak, six and zero beating Dan Merle to win the title, defending the singles title, which is something only a few people have ever done. Um, I think there was always going to be a time when maybe came back down to earth a little bit, and maybe that's what we're seeing right now. Obviously, this was a a better performance than um, he had in that title match against Bateman. And if, you know, if that steal goes another way, um, or even if he goes to multiple choice, even if it's, you know, a a one-point steal or he gets it right on multiple choice, uh, maybe this match goes a different way, um, and and Paul maybe pulls it out at the same time. You know, Roca didn't have to answer any third round questions, but um, Roca does it again, right? He, he pulls out the the match just when you think maybe he he's going to be counted out, um, and you know he'll move on to to once again maybe get himself in the title picture, try to get that singles title for the third time, um, something that only Dan Merle has ever been able to do in, in the history of the Schmodown. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a good, good match and, and the fence stock exchange continues to, to get that bread. Yeah. I mean, the month of February was about the fence stock exchange, getting that bread. The month of March will also be about the fence stock exchange, getting that bread. I mean, they absolutely continue to roll on. Roke it's almost getting- like, it's almost like the faction that has the best players is the best faction. It's almost like that. Yeah. I mean, we, we say that, that. you say that though, but at the same time, like you're predicting that, that Oyama would beat Roka. Yeah. You know, a lot of these matches are close. It's incredible how deep the faction is that like, it's incredible to think that the founding fathers and who's the boss is in one faction. I mean, that is a pretty remarkable thing overall. And, and ultimately is probably unlikely to happen next year. Just that would require a very specific distribution of belts that seems un- unlikely to recur again. But it's who knows though. I mean, it, say the belts flip and Dan's the, holding the singles about the end of the year, and who's the boss ends up with the belt uh, by the end of the year. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe maybe we could roll this all back again next year. Uh, you you never know. But I think that you know this is an example of Roca proving that he has you know he has stuff left in the tank here. He's not just uh, like we felt like he might have been at some point during last season uh, over the hump. Like he has you know this drive and this energy to to put into studying, to put into getting better and, and strengthening certain areas and becoming a better player of the game and things like that. And I think you, you'd you be hard-pressed not to say that isn't because of his faction, not because, you know, of any particular coaching that might be going on from whether, you know, no matter who it is in the faction, or Tom or whoever it might be, but just the fact that he has all these incredible uh, players around him and some of the best players of all time in his faction surrounding him and motivating him uh, just by the fact of how competitive they all are against each other in in a positive way. I mean, they pretty openly talk about that after their after their matches. It, it seems like how much the competition in their faction breeds success. And I think that Roca honestly could be the main recipient of that. I think that Ro- Roca might be the one that benefits the most from having someone like Ben Bateman in this faction, not because Ben is coaching Roca or teaching him new studying techniques, although that that might also be true. I don't know, but that. He, you know, Roca sees sees someone like Ben Bateman in this faction. Is like, you know what? I, I'm not going to be the fourth round pick. Maybe the best thing the Tom Davino could have done was taking Roca fourth to motivate him to do all these things. I don't know. Uh, I think that he's showing though that it, he has it in him still. Like, will he beat Irwin? I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that maybe at the end of this episode when we're doing predictions. But 
you know, he's not, he talks about how he's not the same player he was a year and a half ago when he played Irwin for the title at Spectacular at, at the end of season, season five or the end of season. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of season five. And it just, it's, it's something else. Like he, that player, that John Rocco was terrified of Ethan Irwin did psyched himself up completely before the match started. Didn't think there was any way he could win because Ethan Irwin just wouldn't miss. And now you don't get you don't get that psychological feel from Roka. Like you know, maybe Ethan Irwin doesn't miss a question in the match, but you know Roka is going to go out there and, and take care of the Outlaws' business and and force Ethan to win the match. And if Ethan wins the match, Ethan wins the match. That feels like an attitude change that only comes from having such a strong group of individual players around him, and of course also a support system even outside the faction as well. With you know with his girlfriend, it seems like she's super supportive uh, of everything that he that he's doing and. and like I said, he's reaping the rewards. I think this is an upset win for for Roka. I, I maybe we're recalibrating our expectations for Paul. I, I mean, he he's still a title player. He still is a, a top tier player in this league. But it's not necessarily a, a given that he's going to win some of these top matches uh, anymore, like we might have expected after he beat Dan Merle to win the title last season. Yeah, that that is true. Um, I, one thing about this match, I guess regarding Paul though, is that, you know, the, the title match, he has been very open about saying that he took it very hard and uh, it really uh, left an impact on him. Uh, the way that that went down this match, he, he didn't, he seemed to roll with the punches a little bit more. And I think maybe that has to do with sort of the new character he's playing a little bit this year. Um, but also I think there just wasn't the, the adversary. It, it's, it sounds strange to say this, that him versus Roka, there wasn't any sort of adversarial, aspects to the match but it does seem like that he and roca or that roca has some respect for paul where when usually he he i think tends to look upon the younger uh you know class of players with a little bit of disdain uh i I don't know whatever it is about paul roca seems to uh have some begrudging respect for him but regardless i think the best thing for paul right now maybe after these two singles losses is to focus on teams, right? Because I think he does have a really strong contender in teams, and we can go right to that match now if you if you want, Scott. That was well. Uh, well, well I do want to say one more thing. I think that one of the things that you know Paul is going to have to contend with is the fact that you know he didn't get to answer any final round questions in the title match, but missing your three point, your five point. I mean, sometimes things don't go your way, but you talk about the match really feeling like the air got sucked out of it with that two point steal, which I think is true. But he didn't even really put up a fight in round three. Like, I mean, we saw Ethan Irwin, like like we just kind of juxtaposed next to each other. We saw Ethan Irwin win, win being down four points against Jeff Snyder. Would Roka maybe still have won if, if Paul hit all 10 of his points? I mean, maybe. Roka's a, a great player. He, it's possible he hits all 10 of his points as well. But Paul didn't put up the kind of fight that Ethan did in his match. And, and you know, maybe it's luck of the draw, luck of the questions. That's just how it is. But he's going to have to do better than two points in in round uh in, in round three if he wants to win any top tier matches yeah no i think you're right and, and maybe yeah maybe it did come down to him getting rattled versus ethan not getting rattled like we usually see with ethan i don't know it, it's hard to tell with paul right because he does try to be a relatively cool customer as well just like ethan but yeah m- m- maybe that two point steal was kind of what, what did him in but Maybe. Like I was saying, I think that he probably needs to turn his focus to teams because I think there uh, is when he's going to get his next potential title shot or going to get himself in, in title contention quicker. Um, and that is because he, his team of uh, final exam made a really strong um, debut in their match against uh, the Experiment, which is you know Corruption's team of Elliot Dewberry and um, Mark Hoyk. Um, you know, not necessarily 
Uh, Hoyk, obviously a strong player. Dewberry can be a strong player at times. Uh, but regardless, I think we thought that final exam uh, had the upper hand going into this match. Of course, Lon Harris taking on a new persona, which maybe was one of the talking points of this match. He's now the delinquent. The professor is gone. Uh, he's this sort of like disillusioned hobo type character um, that definitely got a lot of comedic moments and had the studio and stitches really in, in the match. Uh, but he also played a really, really good game. Um, both Paul and Lon getting perfect rounds plus their bonuses in round one. As we talked about earlier, the YA adaptations uh, category, they they gave that to uh, Mark and and Elliot in round two when they hit opponent's choice. Paul got all of the steals that, that came his way, uh, all of them on multiple choice for a total of three points. Um, and then they worked their way through 90s movies despite also spinning opponent's choice, uh, getting nine points there, a 10-point lead going into round three. Um, you know, they were the experiment was never really going to have much of a chance, even if they hit all three of their questions. Um, and they weren't able to do that. They couldn't come up with their five-pointer. Not, you know, not not a terrible match. They, things definitely did not go the way of the experiment. I think that if they got another chance, they would probably put in a better performance. But I think they were overmatched here by uh, a team in uh, final exam that I think is really going to be uh, maybe the next great team uh, and the the next challenger to uh, founding fathers after we uh, get get the next title match, whenever that may be. Yeah, I mean, we, we can maybe walk through the proposed gauntlet of teams matches at the end of the episode for what would lead to that next title match after the Corruption Founding Fathers 4 match. But th this one, absolutely, I think uh, final, ex final exam, you have to consider them up there it, amongst the other quote-unquote super teams of the league. Are they a super team yet? I think it's it's too early to say that, of course. Like you, you need to get more, uh, more, more action. I think before you start saying that, because they were able to saddle the experiment with what was clearly a weakness for them and a strength for Paul at the very least, maybe Lon as well. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, round two was the story. Like like in so many matches, round two was the real story here because the experiment got absolutely rocked by. YA adaptations and and you know three only getting three of the questions right Paul getting all three steals even though they were only one point the fact that they were already down four points after round one which you know that's not a death sentence in in teams you you can make you can make that up in the latter rounds but when you just get like I said uh, really shook up by the round two category and say you know serve up three steals even when they got opponents choice and, and gave them nineties movies which. Again, maybe not. The, it, it's hard to know what to what to give a team like Lon, Lon and and Paul, but you know, '90s isn't the worst choice. They get they did get a steal out of it as well. Uh, but that was the steal is what got them to round three instead of it being a straight knockout. So it it was just a tough match for the experiment. And on that note, I, it also just really felt like a mismatch. It felt like it was a bit strange to put these two teams up against each other. The the number two team from corruption against what was I mean, clearly the number one team from swag. Uh, I'm not going to say that uh, the, the match was set up for final exam to hit it out of the park, but uh, to say that that was the, uh, that the favorites won the match, I think is, is a very comfortable perspective to have on the whole. And, and so that's why I maybe will take a pause before saying that they are definitely going to be, you know, the next, you know, contender for the title. They definitely have a good chance. And the first performance here was convincing, but Bibiani took him a long time to get 
into a title into title contention in, in singles after a stellar first performance against Mark Andreco. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen for final exam, but a lot of hype is around this team right now, deservedly so. But would love to see what their next uh, what their next performance and maybe the next two performances are like before saying they're an equal to uh, the founding fathers or who's the boss or even the odd couple. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's uh, fair to be a little bit trepidatious about, uh, you know, overstating what final exam is going to do. Um, and, and talking about the experiment, too, I, I do think also that Dewberry and Hoyk are just a little bit of a weird match in personalities. Yeah. Um, that's not always a bad thing. Obviously, that works with some teams. I mean, the, the odd couple being an example, the family being an example, where you yeah. have two two players with different disparate personalities. But this didn't seem to be the case. I don't think they really clicked. And it just makes me wonder if that Wildberries reunion is coming at some point. Uh, if if so. this is maybe setting things up for Dewberry to kind of be a little bit uh, disillusioned with uh, his team and his faction. If you can't beat him, join him. He wants to join Swag. So Yeah, he definitely doesn't seem to fit in with Corruption. So, All right, Scott. Another team's match from this month between rookie teams. We'll save the big one for last. Uh, another rookie team's match that happened. Uh, the Pride against the Butcher Boys, the Pride being the Dens team of Ben Goddard and Rachel Silvestrini, and the Butcher Boys being the Dungeons team of Vinny Mancuso and Owen Mugen. Uh, Scott, Vinny and Owen, two guys that we didn't really know what to expect from from either of them. They never played in the Schmodown before, as opposed to the Goddard and Rachel, who obviously both have uh, matches under their belt. And they definitely put in a better showing than... Um, than uh, the experiment did in their debut match. Uh, even though the match ended the same way with the TKO, uh, the the Butcher Boys, I think, were a bit unlucky and, and looked decent when when they had the chance. Uh, you know, only a, only a one point deficit after round one with Ben Goddard getting that perfect round, perfect nine points. Um, and then really, once again, a match that swung in round two. Not only with uh, with the Pride doing decently well with their Adam Sandler questions, but also I think the the key thing was. The Butcher Boys um, getting Kevin spinning Kevin Smith, which obviously we have seen in the past, is a big strength of Rachel Silvestrini's, and that's one of those narrow um, sort of categories where you're gonna you're gonna find people who just don't really know very much about Kevin Smith movies, um, and I think that was maybe the case with the with the Butcher Boys. Um, they did get six points. Um, but there were some costly steals in there, a two-pointer and two one-point steals um, that Rachel was able to capitalize on uh, in, in the Kevin Smith round. So a bad spin for the Butcher Boys, to be sure, and uh, definitely hurt their chances going into to round three, down by eight points. Once again, just like with the experiment, hitting their two and three, um, but unable to, to pull out their five-pointer, resulting in a TKO um, and yet another win for the Den. Um, who are another faction that have started off the year really strong. Um, I don't know what we're going to see from from Ben and Rachel going forward. Maybe the they're a good match for final exam uh, next, uh, given that you know they both had TKO wins in their first match first matches. But I, I still think I would fancy um, final exam for sure in that match. Um, obviously, I mean we know what Rachel can do if she gets her strength strengths. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's another case where uh, both of the um, both of the players on final exam are probably stronger than Rachel. 
and maybe even stronger than Ben, right? We, 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 he's played very well so far in the two matches that we've seen Ben play. Um, but you know, we, we, he hasn't faced a lot of adversity, um, and he hasn't faced a lot of adversity in, uh, the matches that he's had. He got his strength in a singles match. Um, here he got Adam Sandler, which he seemed pretty comfortable with. I believe they kept it after a first spin. They didn't spin again. Um, and so he seemed pretty comfortable with that. And then obviously having Rachel on his side helped get those steals, which really was what swung the match. So Ben has looked good, but again, another player that you may want to be a little bit cautious about saying, Oh, he's the next big thing. Um, but regardless, really good win for, um, for the den and the dungeon is one of those factions that, you know, until inner geekdom gets going, I'm not really sure where they're going to re- find much success. Yeah. I mean, the dungeon is, to give a little preview of the scoreboard update, uh, they're sitting at rock bottom zero points right now. So there's a lot of soul searching maybe going on over there and, and maybe Kaiser blowing up Christian's phone uh, every, every hour of every day to get Intergeekdom matches uh, scheduled, which is kind of hard right now when you're not recording matches. Uh, obviously, there is going to be that match between Robert Parker and Ace Cabrera and Smets against uh, the winner of Chandru and Brandon Hanna, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, so there is maybe some some bright spots on the horizon for the dungeon, but uh, it seems like singles and teams, as we would have predicted after the draft, not necessarily where uh, the dungeon is going to be cleaning up their points as as of right now. And as much as I I did like the Butcher Boys, they seemed like a relatively even match for the Pride. At the same time, I think I probably would have predicted the Pride just off of the experience that these two have in the Schmodown already, and and the the kind of players that they are, you know, scholars of the game, so to speak. They, they know how to play. And you, I think it is fair to say that, you know, maybe the jury is still ultimately out on Ben Goddard and his ability to play up into those top tier of players as of right now. But through two matches that he has under his belt, he has two perfect rounds, two nine-point rounds, uh, and relatively strong performances. You know, are you right about the Kevin Smith thing? I doubt he had any input into the Kevin Smith uh, steals. Just because, like you said, it's such a niche category. I think he even said that after the match, right? That he said, ah, that was all racial or something like that when that came up in the interview, yeah. Yeah, but that made them a good partnership as well. I think the fact that he carried them in round one uh, with Rachel only getting six of eight points. He, he of course, got nine uh, with the the eight points of the bonus. Uh, But then allowing them to work together in round two with the Adam Sandler. Uh, they, They did get every question right, although they did have to go to multiple choice three times in that category. Uh, and then Rachel certainly carrying the show on on the steals, the critical steals there in round in round two. That proves that they, at least in this uh, in this particular match, they they played a very good team. Uh, sorry, they played as a very good team, and so you have to give them credit there. They will be playing final exam next. Uh, that is something that Christian talked about. The the kind of next gauntlet of teams matches that will happen. It's going to be uh, it's going to be final exam against the Pride as well as. Um, is it uh, the real rejects against deep 13? The winner of that is going to play Shazam. The winner of those two matches will uh, play each other. And then the winner of that match will play uh, Shazam, who will then play uh, who's the boss uh, after they beat the odd couple spoilers um, for a title shot. So that, that sounds very complicated in words, but you could probably draw that in a bracket pretty in a fairly straightforward manner. Uh, we can talk more about that later, but th- this was an interesting match. I think, uh, I found it a little bit surprising how arrogant these two seem to be uh, in their match at certain times, and it almost came back to bite them on one of the one of the Kevin Smith steals. How they were just trash talking in the middle of 
in the middle of questions. Um, and, and I think that they're a little bit fortunate that they ended up getting one of those steals to actually count uh, when Rachel Silvestrini only said Empire to in response to what Star Wars movie uh, it yeah, was. And, and I will note on that point as well, Frank Janish, I don't know if you saw this at all, uh, uh, Scott, but Frank had some words uh, to say about the, them. And I think maybe Ben in particular on the Schmodown rundown or on, on oh, Schmodown backstage or something. I think it was the rundown. It wasn't um, backstage because I listened to the backstage, but don't listen to the to rundown. So. Yeah, it, it was the rundown. Basically kind of saying what you were saying there, right? That they were being overly cocky and that they were also, I think whiny was the word that he used in the tweet. Um, there was a challenge that happened. I think it was involving the Empire thing, maybe. or, or yeah, maybe no, that, that was the challenge. Yeah, match, yeah. it was. A, yeah, but um, apparently, according to what, what Frank said, if we had seen the full cut of what went on during the challenge, maybe, and uh, you know the stuff that they didn't edit out during that whole thing, it would have made the pride look a lot worse, maybe than they already looked, because uh, maybe they were being they were, they were overly complaining about uh, you know what was going on there. So maybe they need yeah maybe they need a little bit of a reality check. Maybe they need to cool down just a little bit. They they've only won one match, right? They're they're going to have a much tougher opponent in uh, final exam next time out. And I think that if they come into that match with the same attitude, um, they may not may not like what the result is going to be of that match. So that is a good point to bring up. Yeah, I was just a little bit taken aback by someone who, like Ben Goddard, who is new to the league, didn't even start watching the Schmodown until like a season ago. And of course, Rachel Silvestrini, a much, a much longer history of f- fandom there, but someone who uh, has struggled a little bit because she's been given some very tough matches playing the likes of Roka, et cetera. In some of her and some of the first matches that she's played, just took me a little bit by surprise that they would be so arrogant in the match. I mean, I understand that they were playing extremely well. I mean, they had 28 points after round two. I mean, they're on track for the singles record if they had to answer all three questions in the final round. Of course, they they wouldn't have had to because they were up by eight points, but they were clearly playing a really good match. Okay, Scott, we've danced around this match the whole time. It's time to get to it. This was the other, you know, maybe the biggest match that we had this month in terms of. Uh, implications, but also drama. Uh, and that was uh, who's the boss versus the odd couple. Obviously, second matchup for these teams. They met before in, in Chicago live event last year with the odd couple coming out on top. Um, this time it went the other way, but it was quite a match uh, to, to get us to that point. The very first question in the match, as a matter of fact, uh, provoking a challenge there uh, regarding Idris Elba and the spelling of Idris Elba from Mark Andreco, who said A L B A instead of E L B A. He also uh, said Alba. With, he didn't say Elba. He also said Alba. Yes, right. He said he said it and he wrote it on his board. Ben Bateman lodging the challenge there against the answer. And after what seemed like a very protracted discussion, they decided to uphold the point and award the point to to Mark Andreco, which I think Scott, we both felt like uh was was a bit of a, a mistake there, an error in judgment, considering that. Like we said, he spelled it wrong. He uh, he said it wrong. And it's not one of those spellings, right, where it's like a forgivable error. It's an excusable error. It yeah. fundamentally alters like the pronunciation. Uh, pronunciation of the name. And in fact, Ben Bateman it's was the last name of another actor. Jessica Alba, right, the entire entire match. So it didn't impact the match in the end. Thankfully. Um, but I, I do think it had some psychological impact maybe on, on Andreco in particular. I think it got him riled up from the beginning, from the very first question, right? 
Um, yeah. Whereas Snyder and Bateman are used to playing that kind of like snippy match with each other. And Draco, they, I don't even think... snipping at each other. They continue to snip at each other right. through round one. So I think he usually stays out of that kind of stuff. But here he was kind of pulled into it. Um, but you know that that sort of set the tone for the match. Do you want to say anything about the challenge before we go any further? Yeah, no, I, I've thought a little bit more about it today, having watched the match last night. It's one of those things where I could understand not having a problem with it if, say, he the name had been spelled E-L-L-B-A, like Elba, that kind of misspelling, or E-L-B-U-H or something like that, where the, the phonetic pronunciation is still the same. So if you had just said it out loud without the board, you would have gotten it right. But if you just say Idris Alba in response to the question, if you don't say it, say it's the bonus question in round one, you shouldn't get that question right. Like that's yeah. not the correct answer. Um, like that, that is a different phonetic pronunciation. I did see someone uh, in, I think it was in the action industries discord playing like devil's advocate and, and saying like, it's kind of like the um, David O. Russell situation, but it's in my book, it's not like that though, because David O. Russell is still the phonetic pronunciation of David O. Russell's name. And so you can, and you had all of the letters in there, right? It was really just a yeah. punctuation issue more than anything. Right, right. Which again, I, I think that that is a bit of a gray area and you could see things go either way there. But I think that the my my view on the correct answer to this question is like that is if if David or Russell's in the center and you can see arguments for either side here, I think that the arguments for this question is is clearly on the side of that's the wrong answer in my mind. And I mean, clearly, who's the boss and, and particularly Ben Bateman felt that way. I was just happy to see, you know, win or lose that it didn't decide the match uh, for a moment towards the end of the match. I thought that it actually might end up deciding the match, which would have been a real bummer. Um, but it, it didn't end up affecting the the, the outcome because it was a wild way to start the match. It was, yeah. Um, and even still, the round one kind of proceeded as you would have expected um, with perfect rounds from Ben and Jeff, Mark and Mark, both getting seven points. Um, and then Ben and Jeff, of course, getting the um, bonus question as well, making this a 16 all tie, you know, high scoring right from the beginning uh, match going into round two. Uh, and then things got interesting, as they always seem to do in round two, um, with the odd couple spinning opponent's choice and uh, who's the boss deciding to give them Star Wars, which uh, was a slice that I imagine they put on the wheel. Uh, who's the boss put on the wheel? Um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because Mark Riley is very strong in Star Wars and knows a lot about Star Wars. And number two, maybe for this exact scenario uh, of a category to give uh, Jeff and Mark, because they are such a strong team, right? And they balance each other out well. I think where something maybe like musicals or something, which might give Jeff a problem on his own, is something that Mark is really good at. And something like action movies or Sly and Arnie or something like that, which might give Andrejko problems. Snyder is going to be pretty decent at, but Star Wars, you know, I, I don't know too much about how how familiar Jeff and Mark are with Star Wars, but it seems like maybe who's the boss knew something that we didn't, and and that's why they they put it on the wheel. They get the chance to use it for uh, opponent's choice, and the odd couple, I have to say, they navigated it pretty well. They weren't extremely tough Star Wars questions, which is kind of what you would expect, right? Considering that this category comes up in inner geekdom and in its own division, right, where you have uh, you know, you have the deepest cuts in the Star Wars division. You still have pretty deep cuts in the Intergeekdom division. These were the like surface level Star Wars questions, which, uh, you know, you would expect the casual movie fan probably to um, to at least know some of. 
Yeah, no, um, I think that they they definitely had a few of them that they should not. I mean, the director of Rogue One, which I I I appreciated Jeff's witty comment of like, that's a good question. Who did actually? Yeah, who did direct it? Yeah, that was funny. Um, but yeah, that that was funny. But that is a question, obviously, that I think everyone uh, who plays the Shmodan, hopefully, I, okay, not everyone, but like the vast majority of players are going to get that right. But then a the question of like, how many Tie Fighters chase the Millennium Falcon in the New Hope felt more like an intergeekdom. Uh, Star Wars category type true, fight. That's so true. It was it was a fair mix, and like you said, they navigated well. They got five out of six for nine points, so they clearly they clearly played it well. But uh, who's the boss with that strength that you were describing? Able to get that one point steal when it did come available? It was a it was a it was in fact it was that question actually that that Mark Riley got the steal for uh, guessing. Uh, actually, I don't know if he was guessing or if he knew, but it was four four Tie Fighters rather than the three that the odd couple had had said. Yeah, and and you know things got even better for who's the boss when they got Spinner's choice right. They picked Pixar, which I imagine was the other slice that they put on the wheel. Yeah, uh, I'll admit I was else. a little surprised they chose that. Yeah, I I can only think that they had both been studying it. It certainly seemed like that. You know, it worked it worked pretty well. Uh, they got all of the questions right. Did have to go to multiple choice a couple of times, but still coming out of there with ten points. And, and you know, you have to say going into round three. But who's the boss only up by two points. I think the odd couple was probably pleased at that point that they only trailed by two after getting opponent's choice and their opponent getting spinner's choice, right? The worst possible combination that can come up in round two for you. And they only trailed by two points against a really, really strong team in, in who's the boss. Um, so, you know, we go, we go to round three, um, two pointers get traded. Um, and then uh, a crucial moment happens with Mark Andreco uh, once again. Uh, and once again, it involves Star Wars, right? Whereas they were able to navigate their uh, second round category pretty well um, with of Star Wars. And Draco got a casting question about The Last Jedi, who played Rose Tico? Um, a question that he should have known, let's be honest here. Whether you care about Star Wars or not. It's just so um, talked about. She's just such a talked about character. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Even though it is like a supporting character in the movie, this character has been so talked about in... The Star Wars discourse all over online on Twitter. I mean, Mark Andreco's on Twitter. I see him on there all the time tweeting. Uh, I'm sure that he has seen, you know, some of the the dialogue that has gone on about Kelly Marie Tran and everything in the wake of The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Um, But he just kind of seemed absolutely defeated when this question was asked, right? He didn't even seem like he really wanted to spend much time thinking about it. He I think I, I don't think he asked for a repeat or if he did, he only asked for one repeat and then was just and then was just like, I'm not going to get it. And and just kind of threw his hands up, um, almost pulling a Snyder, uh, almost pulling a move that you might expect to see from his partner. So then we go to the five pointer. Um, uh, Odd couple does pull out their five pointer, um, which was a question about obvious child. Maybe a slightly easy five pointer, you know. Name Another it. question where you get the name, the context, and the year. Yeah, a lot of name that movie questions are always going to be, um, you know, are, are always going to be pretty easy for a five pointer. I mean, maybe not depending on, on how much information you get. A five pointer. It just depends on how much uh, information you get, and they got a lot of information for Obvious Child. Yeah, they they did. Um, but you know, they hit the five pointer. They force who's the boss. To answer that five-pointer, right? Anything can happen on that five-pointer. Uh, who's the boss? I think again with some with some classic Ben Bateman trolling tactics, asking for two repeats, I believe, before answering the question that I think that they probably knew all along, um, and getting the win, thirty-seven, thirty-two, setting a new team's record. Um, again, I mean, Roxy said this after the match. I, I don't agree with her that the odd couple outplayed who's the boss. But I think the the sentiment she was going for, right, was that they scored 32 points. 
their opponent got spinner's choice. They got opponent's choice. And, you know, it still came down to the last question. They still scored 32 points, which shows what a strong team the odd couple is and why they are so hard to beat, even when things don't go their way in round two. But it was who's the boss's day on this particular day with one of the best team's performances we've seen in a three-round match. Um, And, you know, they're they're right back in the team's mix. And we, we, you know, just like we saw Finstock versus Finstock in the singles match, we may see Finstock versus Finstock in the next team's title match. Well, in the in the down the line in another team's title match, it's obviously yeah. the next one is corruption. Yeah, no, the fact that they're back in a number one contender match as well, the fact that this this win gets them that number one contender match to to position them well. They might be playing Shazam, maybe they'll play somebody who comes out of that gauntlet that I had just mentioned a few moments ago. But a great performance from Who's the Boss. I mean, this is the performance that you almost kind of expect. Uh, from this kind of team and, and from the odd couple as well. Not a 37, not necessarily a 37 point performance, but they're the type of team who can absolutely do it. They did it. They did it yesterday. They did it in this match. Uh, and it was great to see. I mean, obviously I have my biases. I'm a big Ben Bateman fan. As much as I like Jeff Snyder, still will pull for Ben Bateman over him. And, and I was just so taken aback by how absolutely rattled uh, Mark and Draco got off the challenge on the first question. And I've been trying to, to rationalize it to myself as to why he got you know so rattled over the course of the match whether it was the challenge particularly or or just ben's general shtick of uh running the running the clock down on the questions and taking every single second before he answers or maybe the combination of the two i don't know it's just one of those things that i just can't help but wonder how players continue to allow that that gamesmanship if that is what you want to call it or that tactic to use all the time you have available to you to get under their skin and, and bother them. I, I think in this case, it probably was the combination of the whole thing and and maybe even frustration with himself that he didn't get like that, that the, he made a controversy essentially out of the Idris Elba question when he clearly knew the actor he was referring to and should have gotten it right on a first asking and, and the drama that that ultimately created, because I don't think that you can begrudge anyone for challenging that answer. Uh, you mean you you put a different name or you put a a phonetically different name on your board you should expect a challenge and jeff snyder certainly recognized that because he's certainly saying after the match that he would have challenged uh all the same and so i was again just a little bit nonplussed that that andreco got so upset and then to after the match say that they that he and jeff were such better players uh in the schmodown than ben and uh, than Ben and Riley, and I, I think that they just need to look in the mirror and understand how many how many belts the two of them have uh, compared to how many belts that Ben Bateman and Mark Riley have to understand that, you know, maybe they're on the same level as Ben and Mark, but they certainly aren't on a different level from Ben and Mark, and, and maybe they should just cool off a little bit because certainly Mark and Draco needed to cool off after that match. Yeah, you know, it, it is confusing, as you say, because, you know, they've played in teams before. They've played in singles before, right? And Draco and Bateman have played in singles. Of course, Andreco did win that match. Um, but nevertheless, Andreco's around the showdown. He knows Ben's tactics. Um, you would think that someone as experienced him, as him would not let it get to him or, you know, would at least come in prepared for what they're going to do. But it just seems like maybe that challenge, right, got in his head. And then when you add on, you know, all of the antics that you usually see from Ben Bateman. It just got to be a little much for Mark. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes into his next match, whether it's a singles match, whether it's a team's match, what his attitude sort of is going into the match. How long will it be before we see him again? You know, is this something that's going to cause him to maybe step back for 
for a little bit. I don't know, but it, it was definitely uncharacteristic to see Jeff Snyder as the level-headed member of the odd couple in the uh, in the post-match interview. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that at all. And also his comments. The one I think the one that made me eye roll the most was talking about how uh, how upset he was that someone needs to resort to the sort of tactics of gamesmanship and and such to uh, to get under their opponent's skin and, and get wins in that way rather than winning the true and honest, implying that he, they're not winning the true and honest way when his uh, his team's partner on the five point question takes off his sweater to reveal a child's cub jersey and then proceeds to essentially run uh, around the studio while Ben and Mark are answering their five point question. The, the, it, I, like, I don't know if Mark just blacked out the five point question and forgot that that happened, but I, I felt like Mark uh, had his foot shoved pretty far down his throat there uh, when he was saying that in the post-match interview. I guess it was a callback to what happened in Chicago, right? With uh, with Snyder wearing the undersized uh, Bears jersey when yeah, they no, won that's the definitely, match. I don't know. That's but, definitely what it was, but it's just like, yeah. Mark, dude, you're sitting right next to your partner who literally always resorts to gamesmanship. Right, a classic stick or, uh, speck versus plank in your eye uh, situation right there. But uh, regardless, who's the boss moving on? They're going to be sort of at the end of that team's gauntlet. Um, yeah to determine who the next team's challenger is after we get the corruption founding fathers match. Um, so they will probably have to sit and watch for a little bit. Um, not just because we're in the quarantine, but because there are uh, several matches, which will have to happen before we find out who they're going to play. But uh, you know, they're right there in, in title contention. Um, and Scott last match, which we have to talk about um, is an intergeekdom match between Chandra Dandapani and Brandon Hanna. The third time that they have met, Technically, the second time one-on-one that they have met. Of course, Hannah got the upper hand in that first uh, four-way, five-way match. I think it was a four-way. Yeah, uh, but then when they met one-on-one, Chandru got the better of him. So this was kind of the the rubber match, so to speak. And Chandru, I think, has put put any uh, concerns to bed, maybe about who the better player at this time of the two of them uh, are. Getting a TKO here uh, in this match, 11 points, perfect round in round one. Um, and then, you know, Hannah losing a steal in round two on, on his DCEU questions, having to go to multiple choice uh, on, on several of them, uh, whereas Chandru doing very well with Star Trek, a tricky category in, in Intergeekdom and one that not a lot of players, um, you know, are, are have, have a strong uh, basis in. Uh, but then Brandon missing his, his three and five, uh, you know, another situation of maybe just psychologically being down coming into round three with a big deficit of five points. Um, but regardless, uh, he, he takes the L in this one. Chandru gets the win, and we we learn afterwards after some maneuvering around that um, he is going to be the next title challenger in Inner Geekdom. He'll be getting his first title shot against Kevin Smets um, whenever that may be, whenever that Inner Geekdom title match is going to happen. We're going to have to wait a little bit longer to get Smets versus Mara. Um, but... I think Smets versus Chandru is going to be a, a great appetizer because Chandru is looking really, really strong right now. I think, you know, maybe in his first couple of Intergeekdom matches, he didn't look like maybe he was there quite yet in terms of the top tier of Intergeekdom. But I think he's he's definitely there now uh, from what we've seen in um, the last few matches. And especially, you know, getting a category like Star Trek and doing so well with it. Like I said, something that people feel weak in, uh, a lot of people feel weak in. Seems like he has a really strong basis across all of the intergeekdom categories. Um, 
And, and so I, I would expect him to give Smets a pretty good challenge. Um, although I think Smets probably comes out with the win just because it's Smets. But regardless, Scott, um, you know, we talked going into this month about how this would be a big month for swag. Um, they didn't really do much last month with RB3's match being the only match that they had. But they had three big matches coming into this month, and they got wins in two of them. The Oyama-Roko match, obviously they lost. But then final exam and Chandru picking up wins, which I think uh, Swag will, will be happy to see and, and definitely gets them on the board and probably puts them in the top half of the standings right now. Um, and the Den, you know, being the Brandon Hanna's faction, um, they, they took the loss here, but overall, I think they're they're still netting positive for sure from what we've seen uh, in the Den's matches so far. They had a really good February, and they did get that win with the Pride in this month. So um, solid intergeekdom match here to, to whet our appetite for that next title. Yeah, I, I don't want to say that Chandra is flying under the radar, but I mean, this guy, yes, uh, the quibbles are in what actually is defined as a perfect match, but he had a perfect round one. He got all five questions in Star Trek in round two, had to go to multiple choice on one of them, and got a one point still. He was sitting at the theoretically most possible points you could have at the end of round two with that, that multiple choice point exception, which he made up on the steal. Um, and if you go back to last year when he played Smets for the first time, when the first time these two players met, I mean, again, I don't want to say he's flying under the radar because people did do comment on how strong of a performance it was. But Kevin Smets had to answer his five-point question to beat Chandru in that match. And, you know, if you have the sort of slip-up that you saw Smets have against Kalinowski at, at Collision last year against Chandru, Chandru would have won that match, and Chandru would have been playing Kalinowski at Spectacular for the belt. And I think Chandru is right there. I think that people do respect Chandru. It's just it doesn't seem like there's – as much talk as you might expect uh, to be around this player because of the year that Smets had last year and because of Robert Parker entering the lead, it seems like it sucked a little bit of the oxygen out of the hype around Chandru. And I think that at this point, he deserves that sort of hype. He deserves that level of hype because I think honestly, with the exception of maybe Parker, who is ultimately unproven in this league and so needs a little bit of time to build up a win or two, I think Smets should be way more afraid of Chandru right now than he would be of Kalinowski. I think this is the player who can beat Smets right now uh, in the league. I think that uh, it'll be a really interesting match. I think Chandru, like I said, I mean, he's been nearly perfect in the last two matches. Smets is, of course, the same way. I mean, that one point multiple choice, uh, checking to multiple choice in round two one time could be the difference in their match. It's pretty incredible. Obviously, they'll have the full five rounds. They'll have the betting round. They'll have the speed round. It'll be quite the affair, but... Honestly, Scott, I'm really looking forward to this match, and I and I think Shandrew has a chance to do it. Maybe I give the edge to, to Smets, and maybe we'll do a prediction of that in just a moment. But, man, I think this is going to be a really tight match. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that had just slipped my mind about that earlier match that Smets and Shandrew had, maybe, and really how close that was. Um, and I think is going to be, because of that, he's going to be extra hungry coming into this, uh, this title match. Not just because it's a title match, but because of what happened uh, yeah. last time out with Smets. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. This, unfortunately, I think this proved that Brandon Hanna's, you know, he's a good intergeekdom player. Do not get me wrong. He's comfortably he's in, there that, yet, yeah. in that in that second tier of intergeekdom uh, players, maybe even near the top of that second tier. But he's not up there with Mike and 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 Kevin and and Mara, Rachel when she was playing, and also Chandra now. Okay, Scott, that covers the matches uh, from March 2020. Um, 
the last thing to talk about, you know, it's a little hard to do predictions because we just don't know what matches are coming. We know that we have, we will be getting matches um, until about mid-May. That is when they run out of the matches that they have in the can. And okay. then after that, we are going to be getting, I think, mainly just some fun exhibition matches via StreamYard and stuff like that that Christian has been talking about. I don't think it's at this point Christian wants to move forward with doing any actual matches that count uh, via StreamYard. Now, if the if the pandemic continues, if the you know ordinances on how many people can gather um, continue to be in place in LA, maybe Christian will have to reevaluate if he doesn't want to completely lose you know the plot on this whole season. But for now, I think he's just going to proceed with these exhibition matches. But yeah, we do know when the season resumes at some point, right, we will be getting that interdictum title match. We will be getting this team's gauntlet, um, which involves, you know, a lot of the teams that we have talked about here. Uh, Deep 13 is also uh, in the mix there after their win. And, and so all of those teams in the mix and Shazam as well. Uh, Shazam being sort of the second to last hurdle before you get to uh, who's the boss in that gauntlet. Um, so we, we will see what happens with that team's gauntlet. We're also getting Kalinowski versus Guy, which you might have been about to say. Right. Yeah. Singles, we're going to get Kalinowski versus Guy. We're going to have Roka versus Irwin uh, to determine who is going to be the next challenger for Merle. You know, obviously, Finstock Exchange has really dominated this season, but it would be fun to see Roka versus Merle uh, for a second time just because, you know, they've only they've somehow, despite being two of the all-time greats, they've only played just the one time in one of the most famous matches when uh, Roka finally won that belt for the first time. So it'd be Didn't they play in a three-way against each other, too? Yes, only one-on-one. -on -one. That That is true. They did play in that that three-way match, and that was won by Dan, but um, that title match. Um, but one-on-one-wise, you know, this is this would only be the second time they met. So that would be fun to see again. Uh, but, you know, it'd be great to see Irwin versus Merle 3 as well. Um, you know, two of the best out there. So, um, Scott, anything in particular that you are looking forward to um, – either you know in the immediate future with maybe some of the matches we have in the can if we can even speculate as to what those are um or in the future with you know when we do when the season does resume. yeah i mean i think one of the matches that we also know probably is coming like i'm pretty sure that it got taped was jader paramo's match um yeah and in fact i think that's going to be the next match based on the graphic that came up during the who's the boss odd couple match that okay, was cool. what it said was the next match Okay, I, I don't pay attention to the graphics at the bottom of the screen a lot of times, so I'm glad that you do. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have any say on um, who I put my money behind in that one. I'm interested to to, to know what matches have been taped because uh, they don't, I don't think they've been talked about at all. I wonder if maybe yeah, so, a more of the teams' matches in that gauntlet have been have been taped already. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I was talking to a few people last night about this, and I think that we were we we pretty much agreed that we thought that. Robert Parker versus Ace Cabrera intergeekta match had been taped. Um, and then Jader versus Brittany was uh, another match that we had also said we, we were pretty sure that that was, you know, had already been taped. And uh, obviously that I think that is the case based on what we're going to see next week. But beyond that, yeah, I don't know. Christian hasn't really given many hints about, about what we're going to get. I would say there's probably going to be another teams match in there. Maybe we'll see some more debuting teams. Um, I don't know. I'm really, because I will say one of the things that I am really excited about, I don't know if it's a match that's in the can or when we'll see it, but I am really looking forward to seeing Ethan Irwin and James White play together because I think it's if, if James White is, is as good as uh, being a second-round draft pick would imply, I think that if he's a strategist of the game, if he's, a, if he's someone who can kind of laser-focus Ethan's raw knowledge, 
I think you can see a sort of super team coming together there of the likes of Paul and Lon. Paul is someone who can focus Lon's knowledge into the game and playing the game well. Obviously, I don't mean to compare, you know, a former singles champion to a player who hasn't played a match yet. But if he is that kind of player, even if not the, quite the same level as Paul, I think if he can, if you can focus Irwin's energy and give him someone to actually orient him in the game that is the Schmodown, I think that that could be a really exciting uh, team to also be a competitor. It doesn't seem like they're going to be in this gauntlet for the next team's match. Maybe we would have to wait to the team's tournament even maybe to see them or something time later in the season, maybe even after collision. But I, that is one team that I'm really looking forward to seeing whenever we do finally see them. Yeah, and I don't think we'll be getting that match in the next couple of months because my understanding is that James White had flown out to Los Angeles to, tech, to tape both a singles and teams match, and then all of this happened, and he had to fly yeah. back, basically, before they could ever tape anything. So I don't think we'll be bummer. seeing him for a bit. Yeah, it, I'm sure it's a bummer for him as well. Uh, Marisol, Marisol McKee and... Um, and Jen Kemp were going to play in a match at some point, a singles match. I don't know if that one's been filmed yet, um, but that would that would be an interesting rookie match between two players who came out of the fan leagues uh, if we get that one. And also another match that we had discussed last night was Claudia Dolph, I think, was supposed to have an intergeekdom match at some point. But I'm who not will sure. she be playing for when she has the match? <laughs> Yeah, that is, that is the question, I guess. But um, that th- those are those are potential matches, I guess, that we could see um, in the next month, month and a half. I guess we have maybe like five, six more matches uh, bef- before we run out. But you know, we'll get some schmo down, which is, is good. You know, yeah. I- I'm looking for anything that can can pass the time in these in these trying times. Um, and, and so, getting a little bit of a, a good thing is better than getting none of it, I suppose. Um, no, absolutely. Look, as long as we can keep continue to get one match a week, I mean, obviously, I'll take as much Schmodown as I can get and and be extremely happy. But even just one match a week is way better than the, than, you know, than the well drying up completely. I suspect that we will not be back up and running by mid-May. So I'm, I'll be interested to yeah. see what what decision Christian ultimately is going to have to make if he is going to take it, uh, take actual um, competitive matches to StreamYard. Uh, I think I understand the mental hurdle that that might take for him to to get over and, and to feel comfortable doing that. Uh, but all the time that he's spending on StreamYard, doing SEN content, doing backstage, hopefully he gets co- more comfortable with it and and recognizes that maybe it's a less perfect system than doing it live in person, but it might be a reasonable alternative to uh, what what they're able uh, or what they what they can do in, in the studio since they're not going to be able to do that probably until. You know, honestly, middle of the summer, I'm not even sure I'm trying like I don't even know what a realistic perspective is just because nothing like this has ever happened before. But it's going to it's unfortunately going to be a while. And, you know, maybe their first event back is something like the collision. Right. Maybe they aim just to have their first uh, in studio taping again to be collision. But, you know, who who knows? Who knows even. Right. So I think some solution is going to be have to come up with or we're going to hit a real roadblock and we're probably going to be contentless for a little while. But anything, anything, uh, you know, one match week, whatever it is, whatever they can manage, I'm, you know, I'll be, I'll be pleased with. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, look, I, I think there are some things that would have to be logistically worked out with taking stuff onto StreamYard. But I think the fan leagues have shown that it can work and it can work pretty well. And, and actually, um, from my understanding, Christian uh, has actually been concerned for that very reason about taking real matches to StreamYard just because 
he thinks they're going to get compared to the fan leagues even more than they already are. Um, and because of production and, quality or, or why? Just because of the production quality of it or not? Yeah, to some extent, although I think the Schmodown would still have the upper hand there in terms of, you know, what Nerd Chronic can do, what they can do with graphics and, and Brian Ward and all of that stuff. Um, but maybe more so in the, the character of the game, because the fan leagues, first of all, they have harder questions. They have players who are more intense about the trivia. I mean, obviously the Schmodown has some of those players as well. But like the characters and storylines and all of that kind of stuff isn't part of the fan leagues really that very much. And I think if if the Schmodown itself went to StreamYard, they would probably have to do away with all that kayfabe and stuff. And so it would it would really be mostly about the trivia, just like the fan leagues are. And I don't know if the people like people who are in the fan leagues, people who watch the fan leagues are they also going to continue watching the Schmodown when they can get something which is arguably the same product, but of a little bit of a higher quality or at least, you know, more sort of competitive, right? Especially with the way that the, the question difficulty has changed this year in the Schmodown. I don't know. Obviously, I mean, that's a small subset of the the Schmodown fan base is the people, the fan league people, but it it's, it is a fan base there. And uh, I mean, I, I know for a fact that Christian is thinking about that in terms of why he hasn't made the move yet to take matches to StreamYard. But I am here to say, if they go to StreamYard, if they were to make that decision, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm, I'm going to be watching those matches and, and, you know, treating them just as I would any other Schmodown match, even though I watch the fan leagues as well. Yeah, I guess I kind of see that. I don't really – I guess I don't fully get that perspective because it's not mine because I don't – follow the fan leagues like you do and obviously other people in the fan leagues do because at the same time even during all this you know COVID-19 outbreak and and everything we're experiencing and now all the consequences that's having specifically on the schmodown we're not getting kayfabe before or after matches anymore so the only thing that changes in my mind is just that production quality production quality of, of not being kind of you know live camera shot in studio it's, it's with the stream yard technology which is good um and and certainly you know better than than nothing and better than any other alternative that i've personally seen but it's also just not the same as as a live in studio uh production would be and i appreciate that obviously that the fan base the the fan league community is maybe a a strong minority of fans in the schmodan like they they are the the ultras if, if you if you compare them to like soccer or, or whatever maybe but uh, I, I think that I, I guess I'd scratch my head a little bit if people just abandoned the Schmodown just because it already feels like we've lost the kayfabe element for the time being. But maybe people feel differently. Well, I mean, I will say that I know that there are people in the fan leagues who are increasingly becoming disappointed and disillusioned with the, the Schmodown because of the question difficulty and the way that it's yeah. changed this year. Those are people who the kayfabe doesn't do anything for them, right? Yeah. Like. I, I mean, that's hard for me to think about because obviously I am as much into the kayfabe as I am the trivia. But people, you know, there are fans out there. And I think maybe especially in the fan leagues, right, where, like I said, it's all about the trivia. It's all about, you know, the competitive aspect of it. Because they want the Those respect people, at the Schmodown, the actual Schmodown competitors yeah. get for answering what they view as easier questions. I understand that. And if people dropped off because of that reason, I would, under, I would understand. And I'm not surprised to hear that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like those people. Just to finish my thought, those people like care more about they, they. Well, they come to the Schmodown because of the trivia, and when the trivia isn't delivering, 
it's not really going to do much for them, even if the kayfabe is still really strong. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, a, a lot to think about, but it will be interesting to see as, you know, things develop in the country, how things also develop. With this. But yeah, I, I, think mean, I guess I would be interested in, in the logic that takes you to no content would be better than StreamYard. But I'm, maybe, maybe I'm totally off base there. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I don't know if Christian has gotten to that point of, of like saying, of, of even thinking that there's going to be a stage where there's no content. I don't know. But that I, I, I do have inside sources that that is his thought process at the moment, that he is concerned about the similarities to the fan leagues. And so Scoop. that, um, yeah, is one of the things. But, um, okay, Scott, let's do an update on where the factions stand. Yeah, so, I mean, you laid it out pretty well how the month went for different factions. But just to, to zoom out and look overall, it won't surprise you to learn, Scott, that the Finstock Exchange is in the lead still by a comfortable margin. In fact, I'd have to go double check like the history of uh, of the sheet here, but I think that they might even be ahead by more points than last time. And then the Den, which was second place last month, maintains their second place. They now have 10 points, but we were right. It was a big month for swag. I think they had two points coming into this month or, or maybe even zero if they only had RB3 last month and they would have had zero, but they rallied and uh, tacked on seven points to take third place all on their own. In fact, uh, those three teams, the Finstock Exchange, the Den, and Swag, are the only factions with more than four points. You only have to go down one more place to the Burning Droogs in fourth place, which is shocking. I know the Burning Droogs in fourth place with four points. And those are the only four teams with more than one win in the Schmidon because the Rockstars may also have four points and be tied with the Burning Droogs there. But they have all four points from the uh, TKO in Atlanta that Alex Damon had over Emily Rose Jacobson. Uh, getting four points for an inner geekdom TKO there with the way the point system is structured. And then the the bottom half of, of the standings here, the quirky Mercs had a really quiet month. Uh, I believe they, they get, they did, I guess they did get the win. Uh, no, because the real rejects was a February match. They didn't, they didn't have a single match. Yeah. I was say they, they didn't have a single match after they actually had a relatively busy February with three matches. Um, well, I guess technically one of them was, well, wow, they only had just the bibs match. So the the bibs the three way that bibs and um and the kid were in and then only the real rejects are the only yeah. matches they've had. I think that's right because I imagine they thought Mara was also going to have a match you know yeah. pretty early on and obviously that hasn't panned out. That that is a good point. Yeah, no, that's a that's yeah. So they they're a little bit I guess under undermatched right now in terms of the number of matches that they're getting, but. They obviously have two strong contenders with Shazam. Maybe the kid has a singles match. Maybe that's one of the matches in the can or something like that that we may see coming down the pike. But anyway, yeah, so the Quirky Mercs with three points in sixth place, the usual suspects and corruption in seventh and eighth place, and then the dungeon, like we talked about, uh, at rock bottom with zero points, uh, usual suspects and corruption having two points, but the dungeon with zero. Expect that to change, like you were saying, when Inner Geekdom gets going. It sounds like Robert Parker and the Ace Cabrera match might have been taped. I mean, who knows? All of a sudden, they could have four points if Robert Parker TKO's Ace Cabrera. Uh, they could be right back up there. And we know that that, that title match for Smets is coming. And, you know, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a TKO against John Drew by any stretch of the imagination. But all of a sudden, could have could have five points all of a sudden, right? Or I guess, no, I guess it would just be four points. I can't remember how, how it works. I, you get a, I know you get a consolation point for being in, in the title match, but I don't know if it goes to both players. Uh, so forget what I said there. But anyway, I think they just have a lot of points on the table. In upcoming matches, just because of their strength and inner geekdom, maybe there's a Star Wars match coming down the pike as well. There's a lot of potential and corruption. Now we'll have a title match as well, so the potential to to rocket up the point standings 
whenever we do see the Shimodon come back in full swing. Again, who knows when that will be, but we'll be back. And for now, uh, the Finstock Exchange with a pretty commanding lead. Yeah, as you would expect. All right, Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter. And you can find me at Scarvy Dent. Uh, you can also find our podcast over there at Media Plug Pods. Um, and don't forget about our Patreon page at, Patri- uh, at patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things you do uh, on your preferred podcast app. And don't forget to check out our other uh, podcast right here in the Some Like It Scott feed where you found Champ's Lunch. Um, we, we're still doing, we're still cranking out our, our Some Like It Scott episodes. There may not be many new movies out, but um, we've still got some some content for you every week uh, with Some Like It Scott. So check those episodes out as well. Life finds a way. <laughs> that is true. It, it does. Um, and of course, we'll be, we will be back with uh, a new Champ's Lunch next month. Talk about the matches that we will be getting in April, um, whatever they may be. Whoa. And end in the show with a nice voice crack, but whatever they may be. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, please join us next time. Uh, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.